The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned. Because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning to you and welcome as well. Good morning, Tom. And joining us this week, um, a uh, best-selling author and recent guest on the show. His uh, his book is uh, called uh, Preacher Raises the Dead. That's his most recent book. Um, but Gerald Everett Jones reached out to me and volunteered to be part of... Uh, armchair politics this week and i'm glad to have him gerald welcome well, good morning welcome glad gerald glad to join glad to join glad to be with you guys good to have you here well we always start with a few quotes and the first one is uh, fashioned after flint-based comedian mark bondo's facebook feature finish the joke we open armchair politics with finish the quote this is where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this. All people are born alike except what? How mm. would you finish this quote? <laughs> Gee, that's a good one. That's, uh, um, except, except those who disagree with the me. The politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, except those who disagree with me. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, except they think different. Well, it's it's going to be so obvious to you when you hear the original quote. It's, um, all people are born alike except Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. who do you think might have said that? Uh, the comedian of the 1930s. You're thinking of Will Rogers. Yeah, I was, which, I was thinking of Will Rogers, too, yeah. Which is a good guess, Rogers, Twain, or someone just slightly more contemporary, Groucho Marx. Oh, okay, yeah. That would be him. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, okay, here's a here's a quote uh, out of the uh, headlines that got my attention this past week. And I would be honored to be able to support an exceptional African-American woman. Oh, uh, that would be uh, a Republican from North South Carolina. That was a pretty good guess. Republican Senator Lisa Markowski. Oh, oh. oh I missed that. Okay. Quite a bit yeah. further north. But it was, in <laughs> fact, a Republican. You got that part right, Henry. She's urging President Joe Biden to nominate someone to the Supreme Court who could be confirmed with broad bipartisan uh, support. Markowski also said she supports Biden's pledge to nominate a black woman to replace Justice Stephen Breyer, the court's senior liberal member, who plans to retire at the end of his uh, term, or this term. Markowski, a moderate Republican, was among several GOP senators who supported Katanji Brown-Jackson, the frontrunner for Breyer's seat last summer, when she was confirmed as a uh, circuit court judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, the second most important court in the country. The senator predicted that Biden's eventual pick will get 60 or more votes in the Senate. Um, do you agree with the senator? And I have to—I have to inject something here because I had uh, uh, Renee Kanake Jefferson, uh, author of Shortlisted, on the show earlier this week, talking about this nomination. And I made some comment about the uh, U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia being the second most important court in the country. And she, she suggested, being from Michigan, I might better have said the 6th District. <laughs> <laughs> but do you agree with the senator that, uh, that this is going to be uh, a pretty smooth uh, confirmation process? Well, it's well like, I'm hoping it is. Yeah, it's, it's something like more than a few Republicans are going to are willing to support it. From least what what, it, what several have said, it's not going to be a landslide, but at least it'll have the feel of bipartisanship a little bit, which is a step in the right direction. I think. I, I think so too. I, I would not be uh, disappointed at all, because I think the Republicans need to come together here at this point and kind of stabilize the country. That'll be refreshing. Yeah. Well, Chuck Schumer would like to um, basically do a repeat of the uh, Amy Barrett Coney process <laughs> in this in this particular volley, if you will. Um, but the White House doesn't seem to be in as much of a hurry as Chuck Schumer is. Well, I mean, there's always the risk, as I say, that that one senator had a stroke and. Things could change, so I understand the reason to rush, but certainly it's got to get done this year. I mean, next year, who knows what the Senate's going to look like. Yeah, timing um, with the midterms is going to be really crucial, yeah. so I would imagine that they're all watching their calendars in terms of what's on the docket and, you know, what's likely to, I mean, what else is likely to be blocked? I mean, that's a big question. Well, and what's interesting about about this is and and I hadn't really thought about it. I I was thinking like Gerald that you know with the election right around the corner, it it's very much like it was, uh, uh, you know, for the uh, the Coney confirmation. Um, but it's not a presidential election. Yeah. But yes, but the balance of power is really very much at odds here. Uh, 
Yeah, if the and, House and goes, the first well, midterm is always a tough one for the party in the White House. Yeah, but that depends on who's looking at it. Well, and the Senate is such a razor thin margin. I'm sure that the Republicans uh, don't mind at all. Well, the Republicans are expecting to get uh, a majority of the Senate. Yeah. Just, just takes one Besides, seat. They would flip the, the House as well. But if that happens, does that mean it's just going to be blockage from 2022 to 2024? I mean, yeah. Republicans uh, aren't going to propose any legislation until 2024? No, they'll be, they'll be forced by our foreign policy and our domestic policy and all of that will force them to come to the table and to... Make legislation. Well, we saw yeah, the long we delay with Merrick Garland. Yeah, there, yeah. there was a long, there was a long gap. Uh, about almost a year long for Merrick Garland, I think, as I recall. Yep. Um, so. They got to get look there. where he ended up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. What goes around comes around, guys. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Rewards come to those who wait. I guess. <laughs> some. Yeah. Some. Um, all right, another quote that got my attention. I wore my mask the entire game. When people ask for a photograph, I hold my breath and I put it here and people can see that. There okay. is a 0% chance of infection from that. Oh, um, that, uh, um, I know I saw, I saw the, I saw the, uh, the video of that. Um, yeah, I did too. Was it Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, um, it, but it was from California um, on Sunday. Is that Garcetti? Eric, yeah, it was. Eric Garcetti, Eric Garcetti was on hand to see the Los Angeles Rams punch their ticket to the Super Bowl, as were plenty of the city's luminaries, including Irvin Magic Johnson, who posted pictures on social media in one. Johnson is standing with Garcetti, the Democratic mayor of uh, Los Angeles and President Joe Biden's nominee to be the ambassador to India and San Francisco Mayor London Breed. None of them are wearing masks. In another picture, Johnson poses with California Governor Gavin Newsom. Neither man is wearing a mask. That was a break with Los Angeles public health order governing large events like an NFL game that states masks are supposed to be worn at all times except when eating or drinking. Um, do, do you accept uh, Mayor Garcetti's uh, explanation of this, that, <laughs> that he just took the mask off for a, a photo op and held his breath so he wasn't putting anyone at risk? Well, that's the evidence that he gives us, and we don't well, have uh, yeah. the right to, uh, to condemn him. He said they took it off for a photo op. I think it was Bill Maher who commented that it was like Bill Clinton's comment. He didn't inhale. At least in Clinton's case, he was getting high. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Didn't get Garcetti much. It just looked like it was, it was a yeah. you know, cover-up. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that should be the new uh, the new slogan for Garcetti is I didn't exhale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if, if he's over in India, you know that's going to be a totally different uh, ball game for him, if you will. Yeah, yeah, that's that'll true. be culture shock for sure. And no matter how much he knows about the country. Well, let's see if I have time to get this uh, this this next thing in here. Um, 
Angela Wheeler, who served as uh, city attorney for two Flint mayors, is leaving her position to become Democratic legal counsel with the Michigan House of Representatives. Wheeler announced her resignation in a January 24th letter to Mayor Sheldon Neely, leaving another hole inside City Hall. In January, Kelfane Steffens, Flint's economic development director, also left his position to become deputy mayor of Pontiac and former deputy chief of staff Duvall Murdoch, who had been suspended without pay after a September arrest for drunk driving and resisting arrest, also resigned. Neely has not announced a replacement for Wheeler, who is a native of Indianapolis, Indiana, and who received her Juris Doctorate degree from Michigan State University Detroit College of Law in a statement to M Live, the Flint Journal. Neely said Flint residents have benefited from Wheeler's work for the city. Um, it seems like a lot of people stepping down. Is municipal government, especially in Flint, a stepping stone for people who want a career in government? Well, it may be a, a good reason to leave. I mean, I suspect it's more a matter of yes. people who are afraid of what's going to be happening in the years to come, and they don't want to be around. And also remember, the city of Flint does not have money. Without money, you can't do anything. You can't influence anything. You can't create or propose anything that would come to fruition. So uh, it's a dead end. Like, And I think if, if you're there and you see another opportunity to move on, you'll take that opportunity as, as soon as you can. As I say, because there may not be much of a future and because there may be, unfortunately, more turmoil in, in the years to come, and especially in the financial area. <laughs> the, yeah. the longer you stay, the more likely you are to end up in court. That's also yeah. true, right, right. <laughs> and you may have to pay your own fees. Yeah. <laughs> because the city doesn't have the money. Well, that hasn't been the case with some of these uh, water crisis lawsuits. The state's been picking up the tab yeah. for a lot of them. Well, let's see. Um, see if I have time. To get into this next one. No, I better better hold off on this next one. Um, we have to take a uh, short break here, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, I won't be cutting Henry off uh, too much for <laughs> breaks that come up during the show. It usually seems like Henry is the one I have to cut off when I go to break, but maybe Gerald will get a chance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gerald, better put in here. <laughs> anyway, we are going to take a short break and let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOVLP, our voice is radio, 92.1 FM Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, We have some messages as well, so don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Gerald Everett Jones. Stay tuned, there's lots more. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom What are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Adder, joined this week in the uh, third chair by author Gerald Everett Jones. And um, let's see, uh, we'll talk about a couple more local things, and we'll move on to uh, state and national news. Uh, the campaign to recall Genesee County GOP Chair Matthew Smith from his position on the Davison Board of Education has failed to gather enough signatures to trigger a special election, missing the goal by 96 signatures. The recall, which has hovered over Genesee County politics and started shouting matches at school board meetings for weeks, collected uh, 3,593 validated signatures but needed 3,689 signatures for the special election. Smith was censured by the Davison School Board in December for lying about his misdemeanor charge, which he uh, pleaded guilty to the month before. The censure disallows him to run for board president and removed him from all committee assignments. Smith pleaded guilty November 22nd to a charge of malicious use of a telephone after he made a a harassing uh, phone call to Houghton County Clerk Jennifer Kelly in March 2020, during which she says he threatened to kill her dogs. This was the original reasoning to recall Smith. Janessa Phillips, the Davison parent and recall sponsor that headed the recall effort, said she was surprised by this and is considering her options about how to proceed. Is Matthew Smith facing a tough fight in his uh, re-election? He already gave the evidence. He didn't get enough signatures. For yeah, the I saw special him kind of election. victory on Facebook, but uh, I'm surprised that those who collected the signatures weren't more careful about what they collected. And usually you want to get more than the bare minimum anyhow, so I was surprised to see them fall short for that reason. Yeah, that's why he's facing a, a tough fight. Yeah, no, anybody who threatens to kill dogs is going to get heat from both sides of the eye. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. So... I mean, I, I kind of wonder. I, I wonder if they're going to try again because, like I said, they came close apparently. But uh, as I say, usually those who who uh, were collecting signatures, you want to get often thirty percent more than the minimum, and apparently they didn't quite get anywhere close to that. Yeah, see, he's running a strong uh, because I went to uh, one of the Republican fundraisers just within the past couple of weeks, and uh, he's doing well with his constituency the ones that are there, but absent of the old, is the old guard. I don't see the people who have been traditionally involved for years and years and years. I don't know why. We can well, but, you know. Like I said, I see him claiming victory on Facebook after they they turned down the petition. So, you know, in some ways, if you survive a recall, it can almost be a boost. I recall when... uh, yeah. Mayor Weaver faced a recall and survived that. Her popularity yeah. went up. So it, it may be an ironic kind of thing. But he has no place to go without the signatures uh, prompting him to move in another direction. Yeah, unless they come back yeah. and try again. I don't know if that's yeah. a possibility or not. Um, well, 
I was I was thinking about whether or not he would have a tough time in his regular reelection campaign. Not, um, you know, the the special election is off. That's not going to happen. But he will have to run for reelection. Yeah. And and I just wonder if they'll if they'll reorganize and and try and put a strong candidate up against him. I don't know. It's possible. I would think it's again. That's kind of more within the Republican Party politics, and I really wonder what that'll do to his role as uh, Republican Party chair. Will that have any it's effect not, on that? Guys, again, it's not Republicans. It's what people expect their school districts to be. They are supposed to be impartial, and uh, the, the role of Republicans don't play well here. So it's going to be the people who decide his fate. Yeah, but look what happened in the Virginia governor's race. I mean, school board... Politics were very much at the core of, of, of yeah. that messaging. That's true. And uh, yeah. it, 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 it seems, I mean, here I am sitting in the People's Republic of Santa Monica, but I've got, I used to be a Michigander, <laughs> I'll confess. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not hearing school board issues at the core of all this. It's like, okay, he had lied about a misdemeanor and a phone call yeah. with the dogs. It's like, okay, well, wait, wait a minute. What about these things that people are, are contesting so hotly? And, and uh, you know, we do have to find a balance in terms of, you know, what what is teachable, what is part of, you know, yes, we want a positive curriculum so that kids don't lose their patriotism. But then again, you know, we're not going to lie to them about the past. Yeah, yeah. see, that's uh, I, I don't think that Americans uh, want to uh, see all of that stuff revealed. We need to accept it and move on. Like, and I like Donald Trump's message best. He says, have no regrets. Go on. Move on. You weren't there when slavery was there. You weren't there when all of these events happened, so you have no obligation. Go on. And I think that that makes more sense than uh, people who try to deny that this did not happen, whatever. You just don't have any obligation to accept responsibility for it because you don't. Even a fifth grader knows that. However, we were always heir to our history, both the good and the bad. I mean, we we benefit from all the good stuff folks have done in the past in a lot of ways, and we are also heir to all the negative stuff that's happened in the past, too. So I think we're all a result in a thousand different ways of all of our past history. Well, lessons learned is, is, is really the basis of our law. I mean, the, the reason we have laws is to prevent X, Y, Z from happening again. And yeah. that goes back all the way to the beginning. So, uh, you know, in terms of responsible government, we very much need to remember the past because we, we want the future to be more just, uh, more fair, uh, more egalitarian, uh, all that. I mean, those are ideals. And it should be an honest yes. history. I mean, it's to say, if, if you can you can pretty it up all you want, but in the, in the final analysis, it ought to be an honest telling of what we did right and what we did wrong. You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, Gerald pointed to the the fact that that laws are usually the result of some lesson learned, and I remember, um, you know, signs are the same way. You don't put up a sign unless infraction has happened. And I, when I was on the road years ago <laughs> as a musician, we had stopped in a laundromat to wash our clothes. And there was a sign on the wall that had 
six or seven items that you couldn't put in the dryer, you know, rubber backed <laughs> rugs and rubber okay. sole shoes. And I think number four or five was bullets. <laughs> and, and well, I, no kerosene soaked rags yeah i i thought now what what was it happened that, that you what you wonder got, where that where the idea for that side came from yeah that, that got bullets on the list it reminded me of uh bill cosby's old thing uh who put that bullet in the furnace his old shop class routine <laughs> yeah. but uh oh. anyway um, a federal judge on Friday awarded the attorneys who handled civil litigation arising from the Flint drinking water crisis uh, much of what they requested in terms of legal fees and expenses, but reduced the total amount that will be paid to lawyers from the uh, 626.25 million partial settlement mostly paid for by the state of Michigan. The request from attorneys, which at the time was based on a slightly larger total settlement amount, could have potentially resulted in attorney fees that topped $200 million. The exact amount attorneys will receive remains unknown until the claims process is completed, but it appears it will be less than $180 million. The case arose from the lead poisoning of Flint's drinking water that began in 2014. U.S. District Judge Judith Levy granted in full one of the most significant requests, a 6.33% common benefit fee for the main attorneys who negotiated the settlement on behalf of Flint plaintiffs. That means they will get $39.6 million off the top to divide, but... Levy capped uh, almost all other attorney fees at 25%, less than the 27% requested. She awarded expenses of $7.1 million, reducing the requested amount by only about $11,000. Despite years of litigation and several trips to courts and appeals, or courts of appeals at both the state and federal level thus far, Plaintiffs' counsels have not been paid for their work or reimbursed for out-of-pocket expenses in the Flint water cases at all, Levy said, in a 99-page ruling. Should uh, Judge Levy have ruled differently? Well, I thought that she tried to help a poor city out. We don't have any money. We have people who are underserved, and uh, you're dealing with us population that has nothing we have little industry and stuff like that so well it, it, it looks based on this article from uh free the detroit free press that she was trying to help some poor lawyers yeah in fact one question i had when i saw well, the story is i wonder how, how many attorneys are we talking about who are going to be yeah I, you know i couldn't about i couldn't hundreds tell of them? I, I have no idea how, how how large these law firms are how many lawyers are going to be on the on the payroll for this kind of thing. Uh, yeah, well, I, you know, they did a lot of work in doing the footwork. You know, I, I know one third is kind of a common settlement for ordinary yeah. cases, but I've I've also heard that for these mega cases that the the that usual one third rule is cut back a lot. From, I, I think of what for the tobacco cases of some years ago, the attorneys got much less than a third of settlement. It was still a huge amount of money, but much less than a third of the tobacco settlement cases of decades ago and I, I, I don't know what the amounts were 
Yeah, and, and there were people that wanted to continue, uh, continue expanding money from the state and the federal government, the EPA, for more and more money, but the money is just not there. We, and if we can get this settled and move on, we'll probably be better off than we were and continue to engage conflict. Well, we're just now starting to see charges being refiled against some of the, uh, well, against the, the governor and um, some of the public servants at the, right. at the state and local level. Um, for various uh, feasances. Well, again, from the standpoint of lessons learned, you're, it, it might seem that we're dwelling on the past in terms of who was responsible and who was liable yeah. and where the damages are. But, in, but if you think about this for, from judicial point of view as a model for other kinds of tort cases, let's say, you know, you've got... Uh, uh, toilet paper manufacturer dumping dioxin into the river and, you know, they've never been held accountable, that kind of thing. Uh, you, you've got a similar kind of situation is, okay, you've got damages for the people that have perhaps got cancer, but then also you want some kind of uh, stick going forward to say, listen, if, if you're going to ignore this piece of infrastructure, if you're going to allow this to be uh, decimated, then, you know, as, as a governor, then, then you know, you're going to end up paying a price. So uh, I, I'd say that there is certainly some value in the punitive aspect, you know, where the money's going to come from is that's a huge question. Yeah, I do too. Now, remember, that this was known in 1996, the EPA published that report and repeated the Republic set report that drinking water systems were leaking and they were imposing great health risks and nobody paid any attention because if somebody else would get the, get the blame for, for what goes on. We don't see it, therefore we don't acknowledge it, we don't know anything about it, we don't have to do anything. And then in 2014, of course, we had the event with uh, the uh, incident with water here in Flint, and that expanded. There we are. Whose responsibility is it? What what happened? I, I'm not so sure that it didn't follow a a legal, believable way when they first detected that uh, there was water pipes were leaking throughout the United States, not only Flint, but everywhere around the country. Well, you know, you're right. And, and even, even before the water, the, the, the lead issue arose, yeah. we heard stories in Flint that uh, a third of the water was lost because of leaking pipes. Yeah. I mean, they were in terrible shape before we had the, quote, water crisis. Yes. So we were getting um, <clears throat> backflow from groundwater into, <laughs> into the drinking water system, the sewer system, the whole system. It was, and those systems, some of them had been put in in 1900. There apparently oh. were still some wood pipes around. Some people have wood pipes yeah. were there too. Yeah. Well, there, there, for mm -hmm. many years, um, it was talked about that that water mains were leaking and, and breaking frequently and then um, when they started looking at it they 
did some kind of a cost analysis, and it turned out, um, and I think the number was right, um, Paul, that about a third of the water that Flint was buying from then the Detroit Water Authority, um, that it was it was going unmetered. And I heard somebody from the city say that the cause for that was these water main leaks, but it was also um, non-payment by customers and fire suppression. And and if you remember, there was a period of time about right about then where houses were burning down pretty fast <laughs> in some neighborhoods in Flint. That's true. Well, that's a lot of water for virus suppression, it seems, but yeah, it could be, I suppose. Yeah. Hmm. And, and like I say, it just reflects the fact that Flint had not kept up with infrastructure for, for decades, long before the crisis came. And, and other cities had done a notably better job. Um it was an easy thing to ignore, but you pay you pay the pay the price in the end. Yeah, the piping, according to uh, the uh, piping authority that regulates house uh, standards around the country, most ductile iron pipes or cast iron pipes, which they were, are only good for about fifty years. And you know, uh, we have outlived uh, those. Uh, standards for by many years and they needed to be replaced well <laughs> we brought we did we need investment in that infrastructure that's what we need last week we uh, talked a little bit about the fact that um, uh, petitions were available to run for mayor of uh, the city of Flint and uh, we were speculating about uh, whether or not uh, term-limited uh, minority leader in the state Senate, Jim Ananick from Flint, would uh, right. consider a run. He has since said he has no intention of running for mayor. Yeah, I, I saw that story, so I think I, I gather Ananick is out, so we'll see who else. I mean, there's still Eric Mays, I guess, is sort of thinking about it. Uh, one was Davis has mentioned it, I believe. Um, Maurice, Maurice Davis. Yeah, I mean, Maurice Davis, yeah. Uh, did did Ananik give you some rationale for why he wouldn't run? Um, I, I'm basing this on a story in, uh, in the Flint Journal, and he didn't give them a reason. Yeah, that's the one I saw, too. I have heard, you know, this is second, third-hand stuff, that he, he might end up working for the Whitmer administration, maybe, but this is this is not from him or anybody else, but who knows. Yeah, and, I, I, you know, I really think that he's probably good friends of the existing mayor. So. Uh, well, they served and, on the council together. Yeah, and he wouldn't probably and in, want to disrupt. And the, in the state the house together, too. Yeah. Or or did did Sheldon get there after Ananick moved over to the Senate? Hmm. I don't remember. Yeah, I'm not I, don't have, I don't have the know. timeline quite right on that one. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the current the incumbent mayor Sheldon Neely has uh, announced that he will seek re-election, and 
I just wonder, are there are there any other candidates um, likely to to pop up? We you know we expect to hear from Eric Mays, uh, Maurice Davis, Juantez Davis. Uh, both of those are not surprises. They're both uh, yeah, they're kind of former of city council people, and they've run before. Um, but with the one I wonder about is will will Karen Weaver take a second? She on said that? no. Yeah, I saw that story too. So I, uh, you know, anybody who runs for the mayor of the city of Flint has to have a great set of credentials uh, because you have to have a reputation that's almost speckless, so that you can encourage businessmen. Uh, to move into the city. You've got to bring people together so they support your agenda. And if you have um, issues that detract from those, uh, uh, from that platform, you're not likely to do well and we've got more of the same that we have today. You've got to have people with character. And, well, and, at the, and at the very least, Henry, a very thick skin. That's, the very true. That's true of all politics in, in large part. But and you must be able to tell the truth. My goodness, don't let the people catch you in a lie. Right? I'm not, sh I'm not sure that that's, uh, <laughs> that that's a standard anymore. I'm, I'm, I think that's probably true, yeah. It's like I mean, that we joke well, I like to... Have, Don Williamson was mayor of Flint for a while, so... It's like that joke I like to tell about the, the two politicians that are kind of yelling at each other. One says to the other, are you lying to me? And he goes, yeah, but hear me out. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. You haven't heard my best yet. Yeah. And I remember getting uh, schooled one time when picking Elizabeth up when she was in the I think kindergarten or first grade or something, and I went to the school to pick her up, and I was standing there talking with her teacher, and she was showing me something, some class project where they had done these little reports, and they were all hanging up around the on the wall around the classroom, and and Lizzie wanted to show me hers, and and it was about George Washington, and I went into the cherry tree story because, <laughs> and at the time. You know, this was 25, 30 years ago. At the time, I hadn't gotten the memo, <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> that that wasn't a legitimate story. And uh, the teacher was about to correct me. And I, and I went through the whole story about, you know, George chopping down the cherry tree and his dad. And I cannot tell a lie and the whole deal. And the, as the teacher was getting ready to correct me, Elizabeth said, <laughs> imagine that. A president who can't lie. <laughs> Incredible. And the teacher and I both looked at each other, and she said, out of the mouths of babes. That's right. That's right. Well, it's the old principle that the, the, the legend is usually more durable than the truth, especially if the legend uh, helps um, prop up an icon or a symbol or a, an ideal you know, we we create this mythology around all kinds of public figures uh, to make them more uh, well, appealing, Henry, powerful. Henry, 
Gerald's about to be officially indoctrinated because I have to cut him off to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll Congratulations. Be back. We'll be back with more armchair politics after we let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in. We'll be right back. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by the fully indoctrinated Gerald Everett Jones. Governor Gretchen Whitmer will propose billions more in spending on K-12 education in the 2023 state budget she unveils later today, including a 5% increase in the per-pupil grant school districts receive, according to the uh, Detroit Free Press. Whitmer is recommending $18.4 billion in K-12 spending for the fiscal year that begins October 1st, plus an additional $2.3 billion in K-12 spending for the current fiscal year, according to budget-related documents and state officials. Her proposal for 2023 represents about an 8% increase over what the legislature approved for 2022, while her 2022 supplemental spending plan would in itself represent a 13.5% hike over the nearly $17 billion uh, lawmakers appropriated for the current year. School funding is expected to be a centerpiece of Whitmer's election year budget. In uh, recent weeks, the governor has been stepping up pressure to get all Michigan students back in classrooms and away from remote learning as the state tries to safely emerge from the coronavirus pandemic. Much of the extra funding is intended to address a statewide teacher shortage that is severe in places and has been aggravated by the pandemic. Do you think Governor uh, Whitmer is going to make her re-election campaign slogan fix the damn schools <laughs> it almost sounds like that it's, i think it, as i say i think some of that spending is very well timed for the uh, the election year now this sounds very very good but i'm skeptical and cautious <clears throat> the school districts over the years have lost money because they've had cutbacks here and there and these are grants and grants are only one time if the, if school districts are not educated to how to use grant money because if you go out and hire teachers you don't have a source of funding guaranteed funding and assured guaranteed funding because grants don't give that to you so um we have to educate our school districts around the state and there are 545 school districts in michigan but if they're not educated they make the same mistakes that plant did and Detroit did. They went out and hired teachers uh, with the money that was uh, for school-to-work money, and they could never overcome that. You make a good point, Henry. A lot of this money, I understand, is just you know one-time money, and it's nice to be able to promise that, but it means a few years down the road that money is going to disappear, and you're going to have to be putting yeah. back on those programs. Well, at the local level, aren't isn't the fu- the funding is drawn from 
uh, at the county level from property taxes, is it not? Yeah, property and sales right. tax. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, property and sales, uh, from the standpoint of, of Gretchen's electability, um, you know, you're not dipping into income tax. You're not. You're not. You're not, you're not raising the, uh, the the price tag on 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 um, Joe, Joe and Jill voters. So, uh, and then also, you know, nobody's really caring about uh, grant money until it comes down to uh, how it's spent. So, I would think that uh, you know, number one, there's a big social need to do that. Uh, I, I can't imagine anywhere in the country where public education shouldn't be uh, augmented. So I'd say that that might that might be a pretty reasonable platform. Well, but, I, yeah, I, think I don't have a problem with what you're proposing. I, yeah, think, I think politically it's very very smart. Yeah, but if if you go out and hire permanent staff, and that money doesn't come in because the money's not reliable, not renewable, not uh, adequate. The school district goes into dump, and many of them need to close after that because they can't sustain uh, the continuous uh, need for money uh, that's not guaranteed. And grants don't do that. Well, and Gerald brings up the the idea that, that some people aren't paying attention to how grant money is being spent. But more importantly, I, I, I think they're not paying enough attention to when grant money runs out. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's all happening below the radar. Yeah. And I would yeah. think that, you know, in, in, terms of, in terms of physical infrastructure for the schools, typically what happens is, you know, you'll kick, they'll kick the can down the road and then there'll be a humongous bond issue. And, you know, I, I don't know about Michigan, but every, every place bond issues have been proposed for schools. Uh, in this state, they've always passed overwhelmingly, even though people hate the taxes. Yeah, and you're right. Places like Flint are facing some, you know, serious infrastructure issues. The schools, all the, nearly all the buildings are very, very old, and facing either expensive repairs or they've the uh, the number of students in Flint has plummeted dramatically from what it used to be. Yeah, you've got this requirement for HEPA filters, you know, with a with returning, and uh, you yeah. know, then that then that uh, calls into question all this heating ventilation. Exactly. Issues which is probably you know old fashioned uh, what uh, uh, registers. <laughs> you know, yeah, these buildings are 50, 70, 70 years old. Exactly. Right. There's there's not going to be any uh, um, uh, air circulation if they're if they're just simply using old fashioned radiators. Right. And and that is what most of them are using. They're using boilers. They have no AC. Yeah, I would think so. Well. Michiganders working in elementary school classrooms, at grocery store checkout lines, driving city buses, and serving in any number of other vital jobs amid the ongoing pandemic may be in line for a payday. Governor Gretchen Whitmer will propose $500 million in one-time hero pay benefits intended for a yet undefined group of Michigan workers and $50 million uh, for similar payments to law enforcement officers, firefighters, first responders, and correctional officers. That is in addition to $1.65 billion for teacher and school staff retention, first reported uh, Sunday in the uh, Detroit Free Press. 
she will propose when she uh, presents her 2023rd budget recommendations today to state lawmakers along with extra billions to be spent in the current financial year. Will the GOP in Lansing treat these proposals from the governor as re-election year spending? Mm. And and just to and just to catch, uh, I I just want to take a minute to to uh, catch Gerald up that my my little play on words, fix the damn schools, was kind of a throwback to um, her original election uh, slogan, which was fix the damn roads. Uh, so so it was you know kind of a play on words a little bit, yeah. but um, but also. Um, and, and I'm sure you figured this out, Gerald, or maybe knew it already, that, that our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, is a Democrat, and we have a majority GOP oh, yeah. in both legislature, or both houses of the legislature. But, you know, the retention of, of first-line workers is, is again, it, it's a crucial bipartisan issue if you want to be practical about it. And you've got such a defection. Uh, this is all, true all over the country is not only uh, 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 police because of, uh, you know, the fact that uh, liability and and feeling underappreciated and overstressed and underfunded, but it's also true of, you know, hospital workers, the assisted living people, uh, everybody has been stressed to the max to the point where, you know, if they're within an inch of retirement, hey, it's time to just bail. And I think that uh, it's, it's a real challenge. I, I, I would say that this gesture of hers would be something of a thank you. I don't know that the money is going to be sufficient to really say, oh, well, that's the reason I'll stay in is I'm going to get this extra dough from the governor. But I think that uh, um, making somehow uh, making people feel as though uh, their contribution is valued, um, uh, you've got to figure out ways to do that. Yeah. And again, I think it's probably wise campaign politics to do that during this year especially. But again, it is a way of saying thank you for all those frontline workers in many areas who've been out there during the pandemic. But I I would speak for the schools. They deserve the money. Will the the GOP in Lansing... uh, in the in the house and the state house and the state senate, will they back her up on this, or will they try and pull the rug out from under her um, because it's a an election year? I think with all of those those cells of of uh, teachers and and parents walking around school districts will compel them to work together to solve that problem. Yeah, I think that the GOP is in kind of a box there because if they if they pull the money back, then they look like the bad guys, and they'll yeah. get blamed for it. So, it's, uh, in a sense, they could be kind of boxed in by that uh, that the offer. I wonder if it's fair to say that GOPs in general, in, in, where where they have a majority in states, uh, are likely to be m- somewhat more activist than we see at the you know, national level. What we see is just a complete stalling tactic. But I think at the local level, it might not be quite so easy to just simply uh, kick the can down, down the road until, you know, past the next election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky position. In fact, um, 
Governor Whitmer gave her uh, State of the State message last week, and there were so many proposals in it that moderate Republicans could support that they didn't even do a response. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was, in many ways, it was a very, very middle of the road, almost uh, uh, semi-Republican kind of speech in terms of some of the, the issues. That's true. Well, they, See, that, uh, that's really, that's hopeful from the, from the standpoint of if, if, if we can have hey, bipartisan we can, action, at, we got to break. Alexander Zajic, don't level. touch that dial. We got to break. You're we'll be right to back. Tom Sumner.